All right. Well, um, we'll go ahead and get started. Uh, again, I'm Richard Ayler, and uh, it's my pleasure to re-inaugurate our Wednesday 11 a.m. conferences with uh, this presentation, which I'm calling Coronavirus Myths, Separating Fact from Fiction. So the current coronavirus pandemic has been marked by shortages of a great many things, including medical equipment, PPE, and even uh, common foodstuffs that you would find at your grocery store. Unfortunately, another limited resource at times has been credible coronavirus information. And I think we can agree that information delivered by public officials and through the media has been at times contradictory or incorrect. And uh, uh, misinformation delivered on social media outlets has also been a persistent and ongoing problem. And when information is not consistent during a crisis, public confusion results. And as a result, some misinformation emerges in the form of conspiracy theories and online myths. So we can look at some early messaging by public officials at the dawn of the coronavirus pandemic. Um, and these are just a few examples. There are many. Um, some may remember that in January of this year, uh, the WHO stated that there was no clear evidence of coronavirus human to human transmission. And that was only a couple of months ago. A uh, economic advisor uh, to the White House, Larry Kudlow, said, we have contained this, I won't say airtight, but pretty close to airtight. The acting secretary of Homeland Security said, the fatality rate is similar to seasonal flu. President Trump, uh, perhaps uh, being hopeful, said it's going to disappear one day like a miracle, it will disappear. And Governor Andrew Cuomo, uh, at the, on the first uh, day of March, uh, just about uh, uh, two months ago, said, there is no reason for undue anxiety. The general risk remains low in New York. And this was in response to the first reported New York case. So um, as we look back, as much as we look forward at the uh, coronavirus pandemic, uh, I think an examination of online myths can shed some light on what the public is thinking about the pandemic at a given time. And there are several online resources that are available from national media outlets, um, whether they be cable or broadcast. Another good place for looking at uh, coronavirus myths is factcheck.org. And uh, a third is uh, pointner.org. Um, which is uh, based in St. Petersburg. And lastly, I would uh, recommend uh, Snopes.com. And uh, Snopes.com, I'm going to talk a little bit more about because it was the basis for which I, uh, uh, I, I collected uh, the information in this presentation today. So uh, Snopes.com is the Internet's fact-checking resource. Uh, that's what they call themselves. It originated in 1994 and it investigates urban legends, ho hoaxes, and folklore. It publishes a hot 50 uh, with the top rumors that Snopes readers are reviewing at any moment. And uh, in the on the basis of putting this talk together, I reviewed pages uh, for the week of May 4th 
for the most popular urban myths about coronavirus. This meeting is being recorded and or transcribed. So let's get to this. We're going to start from 10 and we're going to count down to one uh, with some of the myths I found. So myth number 10. Uh, I don't know if any of you have seen this on social media, but the myth says that the 1981 Farmer's Almanac predicted COVID-19. This was recently widely reported online in social media. And uh, some of you may be aware that there are two Farmer's Almanacs uh, based on the location of the apostrophe. Uh, the oldest and most traditional one, the Farmer's Apostrophe Almanac was developed, was uh, originated in 1818. Unfortunately, um, neither almanac contained this reference. And the reference says, in around 2020, a severe pneumonia-like illness will spread throughout the globe, attacking the lungs and the bronchial tubes and resisting all known treatments. Almost more baffling than the illness itself will be the fact that it will suddenly vanish as quickly as it arrived, attack again 10 years later, and then disappear completely. Well, this seems uh, pretty, uh, pretty um, unusual and, and, and pretty predictive uh, as, as a quotation. But where did this come from, actually? Well, the passage actually originated from a 2008 book by the author Sylvia Brown called End of Days. And although the prediction involved a respiratory pandemic, we have to remember that in 2008, the book was published only about four years after the SARS uh, outbreak occurred. So Brown's prediction was assessed to be a lucky guess. And uh, so uh, this uh, myth that the 1981 Farmer's Almanac predicted COVID-19 is false. Moving on here to myth number nine. This appeared on Facebook in April of 2020. It's the uh, supposition that the canine coronavirus vaccine proves that a vaccine should already exist. Um, the poster of this said, now this was 2001. Tell me why 19 years later they say there is no vaccine. Share before they take it down again. It shows a small bottle uh, labeled canine coronavirus vaccine. Um, the vaccine uh, bottle is uh, heavily uh, distorted, but, um, but this was the basis for um, asserting that we should already have a canine coronavirus vaccine. Well, as you all know, there are seven coronavirus uh, strains that cause disease in humans. The four that are endemic, SARS, MERS, and now SARS-CoV-2. And this canine vaccine is actually called Novavax canine 1CV. And it is, of course, uh, not to be used in humans, as the manufacturer's website states. Canine coronaviruses are not the same virus as SARS-CoV-2 that is responsible for causing the COVID-19 infection. And these posts are thought to foster online anti-vaccine sentiment regarding coronavirus uh, vaccine efforts for humans. So this myth was judged to be false. Any questions so far? If not, we'll move on. 
Myths number eight are really several myths that uh, involve uh, Gates Foundation uh, co-founder Bill Gates. And um, I think it's fair to say that rumors about Bill Gates in the age of the human coronavirus pandemic are about as popular as any others I found. And these are several that appear on the Snopes.com website. Did Bill Gates tell George Magazine that an overpopulated planet would fall to a lung attacking virus? Is the Center for Global Human Population Reduction inscribed on a Gates Foundation building? Did Bill Gates admit vaccinations are designed so that governments can depopulate the world? Did Bill Gates create SARS-CoV-2 to profit from it? And, did the, and does the Gates Foundation own the SARS-CoV-2 coronavirus? Well, let's look at the first one. Did Bill Gates tell George Magazine that an overpopulated planet would fall to a lung attacking virus? This is based on uh, images from a 1990s magazine circulated on social media in April of this year. The magazine is the February 1997 edition of George Magazine, uh, a now defunct magazine that was originally created by John F. Kennedy Jr. The theme of the magazine that month was a survival guide to the future. And the magazine included an interview with Bill Gates, as you can see on the front cover. Now the social media post suggested that Gates had said that an quote unquote overpopulated planet would be quote unquote, choked to extinction by a lung attacking virus. But the quote was actually not from Bill Gates, but another author, Arlo Carlin. And this post comes in a um, section of the article called Disease Killer Cooties. And uh, it was looking forward far into the future to see what would happen in 2020. And if you read the passage, it's actually not that far off the mark. It says, for decades to come, the toll of infections will be worst in poor and unstable nations, but new diseases will continue to appear in the, pro in the prosperous ones for, as they have for decades. America will have aged, and age brings greater risk of infection. People over 60 will benefit, perhaps more than others, from advances in medicine, but they will face new threats as well. Cancer treatment and organ transplants will be more successful, although one resulting problem may be and I believe uh, this clip says greater vulnerability among um, those who are most susceptible. So um, Arnold Carlin was not that much off the mark for 2020, but the quote did not come from Bill Gates. So this uh, myth is false. Moving on here, is the Center for Global Human Population Reduction inscribed on a Gates Foundation building? This is a social media post that appeared in April 2020, and it featured an image reportedly taken from the side of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation headquarters in Seattle, Washington. And as you can see, um, above Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation are inscribed those words, Center for Global Human Population Reduction. But actually, the image is doctored and is fake and it was likely created to promote the conspiracy theory that the Gates Foundation is seeking to control entire populations of human beings through vaccines. And as many of you may know, the Gates Foundation has pledged major support to the development of candidate COVID-19 vaccines. So this myth was also 
false. Next, uh, did Bill Gates admit vaccinations are designed so that governments can depopulate the world? This actually refers to a February 2011 CNN segment. Um, uh, Mr. Gates was interviewed with the ubiquitous medical correspondent and real life surgeon, Dr. Sanjay Gupta. And I have a, a, a video clip here and I'll play it now and listen carefully what he says in the last five to 10 seconds of the clip about population. $10 billion over the next 10 years uh, to make it the year of the vaccine. What does that mean exactly? Well, over this decade, uh, we believe unbelievable progress can be made, both inventing new vaccines and making sure they get out to all the children who need them. Uh, we could cut the number of children who die every year from about 9 million to half of that. Uh, we have success on it. And the, the benefits there in terms of reducing sickness, reducing the population growth, it really allows the society a chance take care of itself uh, once you've made that intervention. So Gates talked about the reduction of population growth, uh, even though his discussion was about the Gates Foundation initiatives about vaccine access. And though Gates was referring to lowering birth rates, which is essential to improving health in developing countries, his comments were misinterpreted. And online conspiracy theorists and anti-vaxxers began to suggest that Bill Gates' ultimate goal in funding vaccines was to lead to global depopulation, essentially, and their words, to kill millions per year through vaccines. This is one such article posted in 2016 with a, uh, a, a very sort of maniacal picture of Bill Gates holding vials saying, trust me. Now, of course, even though this is uh, totally um, false and uh, misconstrues his comments, uh, Mr. Gates is now much more circumspect in how he describes the reduction of birth rates in developing countries. So this myth was false. Next, did Bill Gates create SARS-CoV-2 to profit from it? This refers to a uh, 2015 uh, infamous Bill Gates TED Talk entitled the next outbreak, we're not ready. This was an eight minute talk, which I recommend everyone should listen to that discussed the grave consequences of a worldwide pandemic and the lack of a coordinated strategy for when one would occur. Now, many have cited this talk as some sort of indication that Gates knew about this pandemic long before it occurred, or that somehow he delivered this talk with the thought that he would somehow intervene and cause a pandemic years later. Now, Gates' talk was insightful, but his desire to present a talk reflected his long years of work funding pu public health initiatives, as well as his ability to talk to many scientists who are public health experts about the dangers of a coming pandemic. And his concerns were far from a lone voice anyway. In 2015, when uh, he gave his talk. This was only about six years after the 2000 H1N1 out, 2009 H1N1 outbreak, and the, and only about a decade after the 2004 SARS outbreak. So this uh, was, of course, totally false. Uh, Bill Gates, uh, nor did anybody create SARS-CoV in terms to profit from it.
Now, lastly, among the Gates myths, does the Gates Foundation own, own the SARS coronavirus? Well, these claims were recently posted on Facebook, alleging that the Peerbright Institute, based in Surrey, England, funded in part by the Gates Foundation, owns the novel coronavirus patent. And as usual, this is total misinformation. The Peerbright Institute holds a patent for a different coronavirus that affects chickens. And of course, the SARS-2 coronavirus wasn't discovered until January of 2020. And patents for a naturally occurring virus such as SARS-CoV-2 are difficult, if not impossible to obtain. And I feel like I've only scratched the surface about coronavirus myths involving Bill Gates and the Gates Foundation, but we'll move on. And this is false. Moving on, number seven, did the CDC significantly readjust COVID-19 death numbers? Uh, when I talked about this to my daughter who browses social media, she was very aware of it. So this is very much online in social media right now and was posted um, a few days ago in uh, May of 2020. And this is a widely circulated social media post that asserted that the CDC has revised their figures down from 60,000 down to about 37,000. And this fed conspiracy theories about the quote unquote true mortality figures for COVID-19. But in fact, the 37,000 figure reflected the CDC's uh, tabulation of of quote unquote provisional deaths versus total deaths reported. Provisional death data is often one to two weeks old. Uh, total deaths reflect the more uh, modern figures that, that closely align with data reported uh, by state health departments and uh, hospitals across the country. So the difference between total and provisional deaths would be like uh, tabulating your county's deaths from coronavirus uh, now as opposed to two weeks ago. So the CDC has not significantly readjusted COVID-19 death numbers. This is false. Any questions so far? If not, we'll move on. Number six. Did a protester display a Sacrifice the Week poster at a Tennessee anti-lockdown rally? This was widely reported on media. I saw it uh, on uh, Last Week Tonight with John Oliver, for example, and it refers to an April 20th, 2020, or 4-20-2020, news broadcast originating from an anti-lockdown protest in Nashville, Tennessee. The news broadcast featured a flag-waving protester holding a sign stating, Sacrifice the weak, reopen Tennessee. Now, the, the reporter, Elizabeth Lane, corroborated the presence of the protester, but the protester was not interviewed. And although the sign expressed the frustration of local out-of-work citizens, it made national media reports as many saw it as cruel, dismissive, and heartless. So this myth was true. Moving on here to number five. Was the previous administration to blame for bad coronavirus tests? This refers to the repeated assertion by President Trump in April 2020 
that the Obama administration had left the Trump administration with faulty tests for the SARS-2 coronavirus. Trump stated that the previous administration had quote unquote left us with nothing and then immediately stated his own administration started off with bad broken tests and obsolete tests. But the Trump administration entered office in January of 2017 and tests for the SARS-2 coronavirus could not be created prior to January 2020 when the virus's characteristics were first identified. So this is a false assertion, as we all know. In fact, many experts now believe that the U.S. lost significant time in containing the COVID-19 pandemic because of two reasons. Number one, faulty CDC test kits occurring as a result of test reagent contamination from sloppy laboratory practices. And number two, from FDA bureaucratic delays in approving third-party testing kits by private manufacturers. Private manufacturers very desperately wanted to develop test kits for the SARS-2 coronavirus, but the FDA delayed things by several weeks and forced them to produce a lot of paperwork. In some cases, um, having had to be shipped across the country in paper form in order to approve their moving forward with the development of test kits. And these are the real uh, reasons behind uh, some of the lost time that was felt to have occurred in uh, the early months of the COVID-19 pandemic. Well, we're, we're in the bottom stretch here. We're at number four. Can my pet catch coronavirus and can I catch it from my pet? In fact, Hong Kong officials have tested numerous dogs and cats for evidence of coronavirus. And uh, a number of uh, pets have been determined to be positive in their testing. Evidence of coronavirus was found in two dogs and there is a separate report of an infected cat. Uh, speaking of cats, uh, uh, other cases of infected cats has been reported from Belgium and the United States, and tigers have tested positive for SARS-CoV-2 at the Bronx Zoo. Uh, this is uh, certainly news to Joe Exotic, who is nowhere near his tigers at the present time, for you Netflix fans. <laughs> now, in all of these cases, mild symptoms were generally reported. And the Agriculture Department and the CDC state there is no evidence that pets play a role in spreading the virus in the United States. What's interesting is that uh, cats appear to be much more susceptible to the coronavirus than dogs. Dogs appear to only have minor symptoms, although they can be uh, theoretically infected. Now the CDC recommends keeping your pets indoors and away from other animals if possible. And uh, where, when it comes to a dog's risk from humans, or a human's risk from dogs, humans are at much greater risk for transmission to pets than vice versa. And routine testing for pets is not recommended, especially um, at a time as we still are in today, where there's insufficient testing, even for patients with symptoms. So this was actually uh, determined to be a mixture it is true that your pet can uh, be infected with coronavirus, although symptoms are mild, but it's highly unlikely that you can catch it from your pet. Now in that vein here for number three, 
can someone catch coronavirus from touching mail and delivery packages? Now, this concern began after scientific publications reported the persistence of the SARS-2 coronavirus on hard surfaces for up to nine days, and even on cardboard for as much as a day. And this caused a lot of concern for people who receive mail and packages, and actually led to letter and delivery carriers greatly modifying their, pra their practices in delivering packages, including the wearing of gloves when handling packages, social distancing being encouraged in post offices, knocking on doors instead of ringing doorbells, and uh, greatly reducing the signature required services. Now, they haven't been eliminated completely, but I do find that a lot of packages that I've been delivering, uh, that I, I have received, I should say, um, have been left on doorstep along with, along with a lot of other things. But the risk of acquiring COVID-19 from handling mail, groceries, or packages is extremely low. And although some experts will recommend wiping down the outside of packages or mail, this is likely not necessary. The persistence of viruses on cardboard or paper after a trip through the extensive delivery system of the post office or package carriers like FedEx and UPS is questionable, though not impossible. And current guidelines stress hand washing and avoiding touching mucous membranes after handling packages. Most of us, of course, uh, if we're that concerned, would open a package at a place where the uh, outer cardboard lining can be quickly discarded and uh, where you have a paper towel or a, um, an antiseptic wipe to just wipe down the outside of your package. So this myth is also false. Moving on here into the home stretch, can I catch coronavirus from contaminated food? Well, the concern originated from studies that suggested that SARS-CoV-2 could be detected in the stool of COVID-19 patients for at least nine days. This was reported in March in emerging infectious diseases. And there are several other factors that heighten concern about catching coronavirus from contaminated food. The early identification of supermarkets as potential hot zones of transmission as many individuals crowded into supermarkets to get food when other stores were closed and uh, hours of supermarkets began to be more limited. There was also concern about uh, employees in supermarkets potentially contaminating home or contaminating grocery products and they're being carried home by unsuspecting uh, customers. Uh, lastly, uh, media reports of meat processing plants as sustained transmission zones also swirled public fears, even though the risk of coronavirus transmission through meat products was thought to be extremely low. Now, what does the CDC say? They say that there's uh, no evidence that SARS-CoV-2 is transmitted in food. And though virus particles are shed in stool, the transmissibility of COVID-19 via the gastrointestinal tract is, is still very unclear. And the theoretical but extremely small risk of carrying the coronavirus home on contaminated food packages can be reduced by simple steps such as wiping down packages, um, 
and and uh, quickly discarding uh, outer uh, packaging or lining, uh, and uh, by washing your hands and avoiding contact with mucous membranes after you handle uh, fresh groceries. Now, for some immunocompromised individuals, of course, it may be safer to order groceries via delivery service like Instacart or Amazon Fresh. I think all of us are doing that these days. Um, instead of visiting the supermarket, especially at busy times. But uh, uh, many people feel that if you uh, visit the supermarket with a mask at non-popular times where fewer people are in the store, your risk of acquiring COVID-19 is extremely small. Food plant cases remain an ongoing concern, but this is mainly due to crowding and person-to-person -person transmission. And uh, regarding this photo on the right, we may see uh, much less fresh meat on our local supermarket shelves in the near future as a result of these food, food plant cases. And I heard a statistic uh, yesterday on the media uh, which said that uh, one of five Wendy's uh, stores are, have run out of beef. So uh, we will hear much more about this in the coming days. But uh, can you catch coronavirus from contaminated food? This is false. So we're down to our final myth. And uh, I, uh, here, and I, I tried to save the best for last. And this is an active myth that is still uh, very much being uh, brought about on social media today, and even in um, mainstream media and in the halls of government. Did the SARS-CoV-2 coronavirus originate from a bioweapons lab? So this myth originated uh, from uh, February 2020, uh, when some senior American officials, including a prominent US senator, began to state their public concern that the coronavirus could have originated in a Chinese bioweapons lab. The concern was fanned by some America, me, American media outlets um, in an attempt to amplify the idea of the coronavirus as a bioweapon, as um, this fit the political narrative of China as a growing threat to the United States. Also perceived as a coincidence, or perhaps not, as many of you know, the Wuhan Institute of Virology is headquartered not far from the center of the outbreak. So the Wuhan Institute of Virology is the site of the first BSL-4 laboratory in China completed in 2015. Now, BSL-4 laboratories are a source of extreme prestige for countries overseas. Although the USA has, I believe, seven or eight of them, uh, China did not get a BSL-4 laboratory until 2015, and Japan did not complete their BSL-4 laboratory until the same time. The Wuhan Institute of Virology was originally founded in 1956, and it also happens to be a world leader in the study of coronaviruses. And experts there were the first to analyze the sequence of SARS-CoV-2 and to determine that it was 96% similar to a bat coronavirus derived from Southwest China. And the Wuhan Institute of Virology is located only about nine miles from the Huanan seafood market in uh, central Wuhan. 
So the theories involving the Wuhan Institute of Virology originated around two concepts. A, that the coronavirus was created as part of a Chinese bioweapons research program. And B, that the novel coronavirus was being studied at the Institute and due to a lab accident, an employee was exposed and then spread the virus to others in Wuhan. So let's consider the first of the two. Was the coronavirus part of a Chinese bioweapons program? Well, most virologists say almost universally that this is highly unlikely because the virus is 96% identical to a naturally occurring bat coronavirus. Furthermore, the Wuhan Chinese CDC, as it's, called, as it's called, is not set up to be a bioweapons laboratory. Considering the Wuhan lab to be a bioweapons laboratory is probably equivalent to considering the American CDC to be a bioweapons laboratory. Their purpose is largely scientific. Furthermore, bioweapons have poor value because they're extremely imprecise and they have a high potential for collateral damage. A company could release a bioweapon and then have it race across the world or infect their own population. And if China was to release the coronavirus as a bioweapon, they would certainly not want the effects to have occurred as occurred in their country. As a result, this theory has lost favor and has been repeatedly debunked by world organizations like the CDC and the WHO. So we can assess this uh, not to be the case. So let's move on to the second and currently more popular uh, myth. Did the coronavirus accidentally escape from the Institute? Well, this is the preferred of the two theories uh, being put forward by senior US administration officials. And this is widely reported in the last week. But this supposition put forward by um, individuals such as uh, the Secretary of State, uh, Mike Pompeo, was put forward completely without evidence. Having said that, there is a precedence for lab safety breaches in uh, Chinese and Singapore labs. In 2003, a, uh, an a outbreak of uh, SARS in Singapore occurred secondary to release of uh, SARS coronavirus from a Singapore lab. And a similar breach in China in Beijing in 2004 resulted in multiple deaths. So, I think we have to conclude this possibility is plausible, but there is simply no lack of there is simply a lack of evidence right now to support it. So getting back to our original question, did the coronavirus originate from a bioweapons program? This is highly unlikely um, that that and it is much more likely that it originated in nature. As we've seen, accidental releases of a level four virus pathogen has have occurred before, such as what occurred in China in 2004 and Singapore in 2003. So this is plausible, but it is totally unproven. And what's more, Mother Nature is perfectly capable of creating pandemics on her own without the intervention of microbiologists. So I will have to say, we will consider this question uh, and to my Mythbusters fans.
Busted. <laughs> so in summary, in the COVID-19 pandemic, one of the casualties has been mainstream medical information. When traditional sources of pandemic information lack a consistent and unified message, public confusion and anxiety results. Although the US has spent billions this year on medical equipment, healthcare resources, and the ensuing economic consequences leading to untold billions or even trillions of costs, there is no organized approach to address and target online misinformation, such as what we see in these social media posts. And there is something we can all do. We can all play a role in delivering accurate and sensible information to our patients. And with that, I'll conclude and take any questions.